You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. We're going to open up our Bibles in a little bit later, because today's sermon is a message in three parts. It's going to be a dose of reality, it's going to be an invitation that's extended, and a choice that has to be made. Today's word from the Lord, as you'll soon see, is simple, but it's challenging. It speaks to the very heart of what we need, of the fullness of the salvation that God offers to us, and at the same time, it reflects the core of our struggle against God, something we resist, even though doing so costs us dearly. So before we're able to really hear and receive this word from the Lord, we need, as I mentioned, a sobering dose of reality. And so it's going to be a while before we get to the scripture this morning. So I invite you to be patient and to just listen. And I specifically really ask you to listen, not to tune out and wait for the word in scripture, because this will help us to hear that word so much differently. When someone asks you the question, how are you? Probably the default response most of us have is, I'm fine. But when someone asks us the question, how are you, almost all of us honestly can probably say this, busy, busy. And we tend to, even if we don't say it, that's how we are, because we live in this fast-paced world where the pressure is always on to keep up, to keep up with the latest news cycle, to keep up with the latest cultural, wellness, fashion trends, to keep up with the latest technological advances, the latest music, the latest movie, the latest TV show, the latest enrichment opportunity for our children. Does anyone else feel this pressure? Does anyone else? Raise your hand if you do, feeling the pace to keep up. The pressure is always on to keep up the pace with the rest of the world or to be left behind. Some of us this morning may even feel like we have somewhat been left behind. How many of you can confess Sometimes you feel like you've been left behind in the midst of things that are going on all around us all the time. And that pace, that pressure is so present, it's so there that we don't even realize it how we just keep moving and working and striving and grasping and gasping to stay on track. Right? And the net result of this kind of pace, the intensity of this rhythm of life, is we are overworked, we are overcommitted, and we are exhausted. Overworked, overcommitted, and exhausted. We are overworked. And I'm going to speak in terms of our wider human race, but I'm going to show you some statistics related to our context as Americans. Listen to this. In the United States, 86% of men and 67% of women work more than 40 hours a week. In fact, and I don't know if you can fully see it, what this tells us is one in nine American employees works 50-plus hours a week. One in nine American employees works 50-plus hours a week, and compared to other countries, it's one in 18 in Germany, one in 26 in Canada, one in 81 in Sweden, and one in 152 in the Netherlands. So if you want to know where to move, that's where you want to move, by the way. 
How about this? There are at least 134 countries in this world, 134 countries in this world that have set laws which set the maximum length of the work week. The United States is not one of them. 52%, 52% of American workers take less than one week of vacation per year. Less. 28% take no vacation at all. And nearly one in three Americans work, take work with them on their break, on their vacation. And this is because technological advances have enabled countries to communicate with each other in real time without delay. They've also allowed us as employees to work from home or on the road. And the net result, as many of us realize, is the normal nine to five workday is a thing of the past. Hours and personal spaces are so flexible now, we can and we do work anytime and anywhere. Now, some of us may be here and we may be retired, or maybe you don't have a job, so you may think that none of what I've just said applies to you. But hear this. Being overworked doesn't simply speak to those who are pursuing a paycheck. Anything we perceive we have to do, a task, a project, an assignment that requires our focus, our time, and our energy is work. And it's amazing if you don't have a job or if you are retired, it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly and easily we can fill up the so-called free time we have with other things. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody got some free time that doesn't seem really free? Being overworked isn't so much about having a job as it is about being always on the go, constantly moving and uncomfortable with stopping. Ask yourself this. When you aren't at work, whatever that means to you, how often do you catch yourself thinking about work? When you do actually schedule time away from work, again, whatever that is to you, when you take just a break or go on vacation, do you even notice how you take your work with you? Checking and answering your emails, receiving and answering texts or phone calls or a host of other ways we take our work with us even when supposedly we're on a break, we're on vacation. And it's expected. That's the world we live in. It's expected. I mean, yes, you're on vacation, you're on a break, but we should be able to be reached. We should be able to produce. We are overworked. We are never off the clock anymore. We're also overcommitted. We are overcommitted. Man, if you just stop for a second and think about it, there is a lot to do. I mean, there's your job, of course, as we've talked about it. Whatever that looks like, whatever your work looks like, work is at least 35, 50 hours a week. And whether we're working or working our way through retirement, we still need to go shopping. We still need to get the laundry done. We still need to cook a meal. We still need to clean the house. We still need to maintain the lawn, the car, and whatever else needs tending. And of course, we've got to pay the bills. What well, we also need to try to fit exercise somewhere in there, right? Along with the doctor, the dentist, and the other appointments we have to schedule. And we really should, should spend some time visiting those relatives we haven't seen in a while, right? And we've been meaning to get together with friends. We keep talking about it, right? We, need, we really should get that on the calendar, too. 
And then there's that hobby that we always wanted to learn or that new book that we wanted to read or that new show we wanted to watch or that trip that we wanted to take just for fun. And wait a second, for some of us in this room, all of what I just said, do you have a kid? Whoa, holy cow. You've got another 24-7 job to add to that list, right? I mean, we're talking feeding and nap schedules. We're talking chauffeuring to and from school, homework, play dates, birthdays, music lessons, sports practices, and games. And if you're married, what about some needed one-on-one quality time with your spouse? Or if you're looking to be married, what about the needed time to date and actually have and engage in a significant relationship? Or what if you choose to be single Or even if you are with someone, what about the time just for you to take care of yourself? Part of the reason we're so overscheduled, our lives are so so overscheduled, is because, as you'll see on the next slide, we've drunk the cultural Kool-Aid that insists if we're not keeping busy, then we aren't being productive. We're underachieving. We're being lazy. If we say, well, how can we possibly accomplish it all? Well, the answer is we have to multitask, of course. We have to learn to do many things at once, various tasks at the same time. And technology has made this possible, has made our lives easier so we can do more. And we've drunk this Kool-Aid. You know how you know we've drunk this Kool-Aid? Because convinced we can always do more For many of us, most of us, our default is always to say yes rather than to say no. To say yes to another project, another responsibility or commitment rather than to say no. I can't say no. I can't can't say no. I have to say yes. We feel that pressure. And we tell ourselves, well, what's another obligation? Right? I can handle that. I'm doing so much already. No problem. In fact, many of us, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, many of us pride ourselves on our ability to be overachievers, right? Some of us take sort of a perverse pride in confessing to each other how busy we are. Well, I'm really busy right now. It's been a really busy week. I really wish I could spend more time with you, but I have so many things that I'm doing right now, so many things I'm juggling, so much going on. I'm just so busy. It's amazing, in fact, how much I'm actually doing right now. And if we're not busy, raise your hand on this one. If you're not busy, be honest. Don't you feel like sometimes you should be? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. If you're not busy, confess it right now. If you're not busy, do you find a way to keep busy? Ooh. Listen to that word, keep busy. If you're not busy, you find a way to keep busy. Keep means you intend to never cease being busy. Because again, if we're not busy, we're not being productive. We're not achieving. We're being lazy. Now, there's something I learned in economics class in high school that I I paid attention that I think applies here. You'll see it come up on the screen. It's called the law of diminishing returns. How many of you have heard of this before? right? Some of us have heard of it. And it's this idea that there's a point, and you can see it on this graph, that we reach. There's a point that we actually reach where the more time, energy, money we invest in something actually begins to take more than it gives. In other words, less is more. And really, if you look at this carefully, what this is also telling us is that beyond a certain threshold, 
more actually becomes less. Related to productivity, this has been more recently referred to as the hustle fallacy, the hustle fallacy, because there's actually empirical studies that have shown that when we cross 50 hours of work or activity per week, the average person actually only yields 37 hours of productivity. And if we push ourselves to 55, studies show it drops down to 30 hours of productivity. So in other words, hear this, our crammed calendars and overscheduled lives are actually a waste of time and energy. And yet, despite this, I mean, even modern science showing us this, despite this, common sense, despite this, we still perceive more value in how much we try to do than in the actual quality, the output, the fruit of our labor. We continue to pat ourselves on the back for being able to get so much done during the day that we even ignore the fact that we can't seem to calm our thoughts to turn off the running internalized to-do list so we can actually sleep at night. Oh yeah, that, sleep. Being overworked and overcommitted, when do we sleep? The answer is we don't. We don't get enough sleep and so we're exhausted. The average amount of sleep is under seven hours a night, and you probably have heard this more times than you can count. We need eight to nine hours. Our lack of adequate rest is no small matter either. And modern science keeps telling us this too. It's been telling us this for decades, that trading sleep for work is literally killing us. That's a headline from the Washington Post. It's death by a thousand hours of sleep we're not taking. All for what? The sake of work. And so we begin, right? Again, I know some of you get this. We begin our days tired. We joke about our need for coffee. How many of you need coffee and lots of it? Double hand right there. And again, this tends to shift this way. How many of us drink energy drinks between appointments? Come on. Oh, you better open it. Oh, there you go. Energy drinks, man, between appointments. For many of us, this is crazy. Those energy drinks are our meals for the day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner in a can? Seriously? And so we end our days just like we begin them. Tired. Except by the end of the day, we are even more exhausted than when we started. But do we slow down? Not unless we have to. Not unless we hit the wall. Otherwise, we just push ourselves harder as we continue to lament that there just aren't enough hours in the day to finish what just has to be done. Sleep can come later, but a full night's rest never does. And so we just keep running on empty. Ask yourself, because this is, this is also, and I, I, I'm sparing you a lot of statistics, but we are finding more and more people, and ask yourself if this is you, more and more people are running on 20% or less of their true capacity. That's what they're doing daily. They're running on 20% or less of their true capacity. And how many of us, if we do rest, think about this, if we do rest, we don't rest very long. We rest just long enough to get back up. We rest just long enough to make an appearance. 
we rest just long enough to be functional. There's an expression for this. It's called burning the candle at both ends. And we just keep burning the candle at both ends. We ignore the warning signs hardwired into how our bodies operate. Our health, physical, mental, emotional, takes a hit. We fail to recognize that we live at a time when the greatest health threat we are facing is not a disease like cancer or AIDS. The greatest health threat we are facing in our modern world, science continues to tell us this, but I don't think any of us are listening. Do you know what it is? Greatest health threat is stress. Modern science has linked ongoing fatigue to depression and anxiety, to physical ailments, to addiction issues, to general joylessness, and a sense of alienation from others, even ourselves. My friends, at some point, given these statistics, given these, this information, at some point, and it's only a matter of when, not if, stress will get the better of us. We will hit the wall. We will burn out. And when that happens, some of us will never recover. But the crazier thing is that many of us will actually get back on our feet only to step right back into the insanity of a life running in circles. Too many of us are overworked, overcommitted, and perpetually depleted. Is this the kind of life for which we were created? This? Is this the best we can expect for our lives? A hurried life of rushing around, of moving faster and faster, faster where our lives barely touch but never really go anywhere in terms of depth or intimacy is this the kind of life we were created for is this the best we can expect for our lives a restless life of striving and striving and striving but never experiencing any lasting satisfaction almost as if in direct answer to these questions the voice of Jesus calls out in the midst of this sobering dose of reality and extends an invitation to us. And this brings us to our scripture this morning from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. The words are on the screen. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus speaks to us across time and extends an invitation. Now, if we were to go back to when Jesus first uttered these words, there's no question that the context of those who first heard Jesus speak this, their context was different than ours today. They didn't have the industrial infrastructure, the technological advances, the so-called modern conveniences we do today. It was different. But in another sense, if you really stop and think about it, if you dig into what's going on here, the world of the gospel, the time of Jesus, their experience was much like ours. They too were burdened by the pressure of tireless demands. They too in their own day had ever-consuming work that tasked them all the time. They too experienced the relentless expectations of their own day. 
And so Jesus speaks to them. Jesus invites them and through them invites us to rest. Jesus promises, did you pick this up? To give us rest. The actual word Jesus uses here that we translate as rest carries this connotation of pausing, of ceasing, of refraining. In today's language, the word could be translated as catching our breath, having a break, going on hiatus, experiencing a lull, stepping back from something. Jesus is offering us the chance to catch our breath. Jesus is inviting us to have a break, to go on hiatus, to experience a lull, to step back. And interestingly, and I don't know if you've caught this, this particular rest that Jesus offers us is to be found in him. Jesus doesn't point to a program. Jesus doesn't point to a self-help plan. Jesus doesn't say, I wrote this book. Please buy it. It'll change your life. Unique to anyone in human history, Jesus offers himself as both the universal and personal solution to all that burdens us and this world. Come to me, Jesus says. Learn from me by taking my yoke upon you. You probably are familiar with a yoke, but the next slide will show you a picture, if you're not, of what a yoke is. A yoke is a harness. It's like the yoke we think of that's put over the shoulders of an ox. And, and basically, we could, to break this down, a yoke is what steers the direction of the one who wears that yoke, steers their direction. And Jesus is pointing to an example of everyday life that his first hearers would relate to. But at the same time, Jesus is, has a depth that we, we need to see here where Jesus is pointing to a deeper truth. And it's this, we all bear a yoke of some kind. It might be the yoke of the clock. It might be the yoke of the tyranny of the urgent. It might be the yoke of our own expectations. It might be the yoke of someone else's demands upon our life. It might be the yoke of the devil, or it might be the yoke of the Lord. But like Bob Dylan once sang, we're all going to serve somebody or something. We all bear a yoke of some kind. Someone or something is directing the pace and purpose of your life. Whether you want to admit it or accept it or not, someone or something is directing the pace and purpose of your life. And Jesus, in the, in the midst of that reality, is inviting us to be directed by his yoke, to learn from his way of facing each day, to glean from his practice of daily engaging life with all its responsibilities and relationships. And this is why we don't just believe in Jesus, we follow him. This is why we don't just pay attention to what Jesus says, and we do, we hang on every word, but we don't just pay attention to what Jesus says, we have the gospels and we watch and we observe what Jesus does how he lives his life, how he engages his relationships, how he engages his day-to-day. -day. Jesus invites us to learn from him. And he tells us what we're gonna see. And it's true that he is gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is inviting us to take his yoke, to learn from him, to humbly and gently approach our lives, to approach this world, rather than to approach our lives in this world defensively and aggressively. And isn't that how we get up in the morning? To face the day, to go out there and make a name for ourselves, to grab life by the tail, right? To prove ourselves, to establish ourselves. Nobody's getting in our way. No one's gonna keep us down. We're gonna make it. We're gonna get to the top. 
And Jesus says, learn a different way of living. Learn from me and engage your life, not aggressively and defensively, but humbly and gently. Jesus describes his, this yoke, his yoke is easy. And it's, that word is even better translated as pleasurable or delightful because this direction, and remember a yoke is what directs us. This direction Jesus offers us is delightful. It's pleasurable because it purposes to set us free. To teach us to live not a half-life, not sort of a life, not just surviving, not just being functional. And how many of us are just surviving? How many of us have settled for just being functional, vertical? No, Jesus is offering us the freedom of not a half-life, but as he talks about elsewhere, a full life, an abundant life, a thriving life. A life that isn't draining us each day. Think about how crazy that is. If your life is draining you each day, that's not the life that God created you for. God didn't create you to have life that drains you. God created you. Jesus invites you into a life that's supposed to overflow. Overflow with joy and peace. Overflow with joy and peace even when things are hard or painful. That's why Jesus goes on to convey that his burden is light. Do you pick up on the double meaning of that, that expression, my burden is light? On the one hand, what Jesus is saying is the burden of living for him, living with him, is not heavy, right? Thanks to the work of the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the healing of the brokenness of this world, thanks to the glory of the resurrection, victory over death, and the promise of a new creation, the burden of our lives in Christ with Jesus is lighter, we are free from fear and anxiety, worry, guilt and shame that our mistakes, our failures, our sin ultimately define us and shape who we are. We are free to grow and to learn and to mature, not by our wisdom and strength, but through the grace, the mercy, and the work of Christ in us. And out of abiding in this work of Christ in us, we don't have to work to protect to defend or justify ourselves. We become free to not have to do, but instead to just be with those around us. We are set free to love, to forgive, to be generous, to serve others. The lightness of the burden of living with and for Christ is that it's not heavy, but the lightness of Christ's burden, beloved, that he extends to us is also energy. That's the double meaning. It's energy. We celebrate this energy. We celebrate this power today in remembering something that Jesus from the very beginning promised he was going to give to us, something that gave rise to the birth of the church, something that is, was meant to give us life, and it's the empowerment, the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Today is Pentecost. We are celebrating the birthday of the church. We are celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit is our empowerment to just be, rather than to have to do all the time. Christ is inviting us to take his yoke and his burden upon us to be freed, freed from the shackles of continuing to be defined by what we do or don't do, free from the shackles of working to justify our existence, to validate our worth, to earn some time off. Are you tired of living that way? 
Are you tired of that yoke? Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and instead be liberated. Find your eternal and lasting rest in living out of the security and assurance of who you are in Christ. The kind of life, beloved, that Jesus is offering us is not a life of diminishing returns. It's a life of an increasing yield of fruitfulness, both in and out of season. A life where we will not grow weary, where we will not be faint. A life where we will soar on wings like eagles. But make no mistake, this life is only possible, this life for us only becomes real when we rest. To be even more specific, this life is only possible, this life only becomes real when we rest in Christ. When we abide in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we live, move, and have our being out of resting in the work that God has already accomplished for us in Christ, when we live, move, and have our being in the work that God continues to do in us and in this world through the Holy Spirit. This rest that we're talking about this morning, this rest Jesus is inviting us into has a name, an old, ancient and yet often forgotten name, weaved from the very beginning into the fabric, the rhythm of creation itself. Do you know it? Do you remember it? That name is Sabbath. Sabbath. Jesus invites us to find rest for our souls here at the end of Matthew chapter 11. And if you have your Bibles open, and it's okay if you don't, it isn't a coincidence that the minute after Jesus extends this invitation to rest, this promise of rest, right when you get to chapter 12, two stories about Sabbath immediately follow. It's not a coincidence because the rest Jesus invites us into, offers us through himself, is tied to Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally means to stop. Stop. Stop worrying. Stop wanting. Stop working. Just stop and rest. Most of us, if we've heard of Sabbath at all, if it kind of like sparks something in our mind, if we, most of us, if we've heard of Sabbath at all, we understand it as God's requirement of a day of rest. You ask the average Christian, what's the Sabbath? The Sabbath is God's rule that one out of seven days, we got to take a rest. We got to take a break. We perceive Sabbath as law rather than as part of the gospel. And ironically, if we perceive it as law, apparently it's a law to which we don't have to pay much attention. But what I'm hoping that you will come to see this morning, and we are going to continue to unpack over these next few weeks, this is it, is Sabbath is more than just a day or a moment. Here it is, and I'm going to keep coming back to this over the weeks ahead. Sabbath is living with a spirit of restfulness. Sabbath is living with a spirit of restfulness that derives from abiding in the living presence of God all week long. Abiding in the living presence of God who goes with you, who is for you in every, each and every moment. Sabbath is not a doing. It's not another activity to fit in. Sabbath is a way of being that reorients everything else we are trying to do. Sabbath is the gift of rest 
of resting, as I said already, in the work of God, what the Lord has already accomplished, what the Lord has already provided for us. Sabbath is resting in the work that God has already done and therefore letting our work, whatever we create, to come out of the sufficiency of his provision. But Sabbath is more than a gift. Sabbath is a necessity for life. Sabbath is a necessity to live the full life our creator intended for us so that we don't just survive, but we actually thrive. Sabbath is a necessity so that we don't just burn out and fade away. And too many of us have bought in to this mentality that that's what life is, that eventually we're gonna burn out and fade away. And if you're older, you're more on the receiving end of this. You think as your body breaks down, you think as your your life begins to gain in the years, that eventually your destination is to burn out and fade away. God didn't create any of us to burn out and fade away. That is not the life that we were created for. That is not the life that Jesus offers us. We were created as we continue to dig deeply into here in this community, not to burn out and fade away, but we were created to flourish. To flourish beyond this life into everlasting life. My friends, over the next coming weeks, we're gonna unpack and explore this much bigger, wider, and deeper understanding of Sabbath of this rest that we're invited into and promised by God in Christ. We're gonna learn about this particular gift of rest to receive, that Jesus calls us to receive. We're gonna learn what it is, why it matters, what it looks like, and how tangibly we can enter into it. We're gonna consider all the blessings we might receive from entering into this sacred space of Sabbath, of, of the gifts that we can get from abiding in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. You're gonna come back and through various biblical passages, we are going to explore this idea of Sabbath slowly. And we're going to do it slowly because I am convinced personally, let alone for all of us, that this is very hard for us to accept. It's hard for us to understand why it's worthwhile. It's hard for us to understand how it's practical, how it even, might even be possible for us. And that's why before we can go further together in the weeks ahead, today, we have to come to a decision. Today, we've had our dose of reality. An invitation has been extended to us by Jesus, but now we have to come to a decision. Will we face the truth about ourselves that we need to rest and that the rest we need is the gift of Sabbath offered to us by God? Will we refuse to minimize the seriousness of this aspect of our discipleship? This isn't just some topic, biblical topic, that we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks that's fascinating or interesting or irrelevant to any of us. This is essential to our discipleship. Resting and abiding in Christ, including how many hours of sleep we get, including allowing for there to be some margin and white space in our lives, is vital to our apprenticeship to Jesus. It's intimately connected to how we follow Christ. Will we accept that? Will we recognize that loving well, and we just shared the Jesus Creed where we declared that's what we're called to do, that, that we will recognize that loving well, loving others like Christ, requires being physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually awake. Awake, awake from regularly resting in the word and spirit of Jesus. 
Will we stop rationalizing how this doesn't apply to me? And I know some of you are doing this right now. Young people, some of you are like, dude, I am young. I bounce back. I don't need sleep. I can do whatever I want. I'm awesome. (laughs) Bring it. I'm invincible. This doesn't apply to me. Not yet. (laughs) Anybody want to raise their hand who was young, who isn't young anymore, who wants to say it applies? Anybody who's here who's young, you need to listen now. Learn from our mistakes. And for anyone who's older here, I know what you're thinking. I'm old. I'm old. I can't do much anyway. So it doesn't, this all this overdoing, I can't do much anyway. Remember, this isn't about how much you can or can't do. This is about not doing, but being. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much you feel like you can't do what you want to do. You're missing the point. This is about being in order to do anything. Are we going to stop rationalizing how this doesn't apply to us? Are we going to stop justifying how, okay, but Pastor Chris, you know what? I get by and do just fine on my own. If I could just share with you my own personal schedule and cycle, are we going to stop that? And instead, are we going to confess how overworked, how overcommitted, and how fatigued our lives really are? We need to understand something if we are going to go forward from here. We need to understand that this relentless pressure that we talked about earlier, this relentless pressure we all feel to earn, to accomplish, to achieve, this relentless pressure that drives us is something we've created and put upon ourselves. This pressure is a byproduct of our rejection and rebellion against our creator. This pressure stems from our continuing belief that we are defined, that our identity, our value, our worth, our success, our significance, our future is based on what we do, is based on what we control, is based on what we create, is based on what we produce, is based upon what we merit. That is is wrong and it's a lie entering into the rest christ offers us begins by releasing this self and societal induced pressure valve in our lives and saying no more we begin to rest in christ the moment we see and accept ourselves and each other for who we truly are apart from what we do what we control what we create what we produce what we merit You and I, apart from all of that, are beloved children of our Heavenly Father who are called to view any work we do, therefore, as play. Who are called to engage any task to which we put our mind, our heart, or our hands, not as something through which we have to prove or validate ourselves, but instead as an opportunity to create something beautiful, something glorious, through which we are blessed to reflect and to express the immeasurable grace, love, and hope of our God to the world. Beloved, Jesus didn't come to save us on the cross so we could end up killing ourselves by working to death. Jesus didn't conquer death so we could just keep working ourselves into an early grave. Like photosynthesis for the soul, 
Jesus invites us to exhale, to breathe out all the anxieties, the worries and stress of our lives, and instead to breathe in, to inhale the Spirit's presence into all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, all of our words, and all of our actions. Beloved, we don't have to be restless. We can find rest, the rest we need, the satisfaction and contentment for which we long, the joy and freedom we deeply desire, the peace that passes all understanding. We can find rest in the gift of the Sabbath. And this Sabbath space isn't rest we have to manufacture or work out for ourselves. This Sabbath space is rest we are invited into by abiding again and again into Christ's love and care for us. Amen.